0: All right, our scripture reading this morning I am taking from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 30, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 18, and we'll read on down through verse 29. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 18 through 29, and I would invite you please, uh, if, as you're able, to stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, Yahweh waits to be gracious to you, and therefore He exalts Himself to show mercy to you. For Yahweh is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for Him. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as He hears it, He answers you. And though the Lord gave you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, Be gone. And he will give rain for the seed with which you sow the ground and bread, the produce of the ground, which will be rich and plenteous. That day your livestock will graze in large pastures. And the oxen and the donkeys that work the ground will eat seasoned fodder, which has been winnowed with shovel and fork. And on every lofty mountain and every high hill there will be brooks running with water. In the day of the great slaughter, when the towers fall, Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days, in the day when Yahweh binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. Behold, the name of Yahweh comes from afar, burning with his anger and in thick rising smoke. His lips are full of fury, and his tongue is like a devouring fire. His breath is like an overflowing stream that reaches up to the neck to sift the nations with the sieve, of destruction, and to place on the jaws of the peoples a bridle that leads astray. You shall have a song, as in the night, when a holy feast is kept, and gladness of heart, as when one sets out to the sound of the flute, to go to the mountain of Yahweh, to the rock of Israel. God adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Please be seated. So I'm taking just a brief break, sort of, uh, from our Life of David series, as you can probably tell looking at uh, uh, this particular passage, just simply because the next, uh, the next passage that I'm dealing with in the Life of David and the Psalms that go with it are, uh, well, the passage in Samuel is short, but the, the Psalms that go with it there's a lot of data, and there's a lot of... Uh, it, it's 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 still requiring more work. So I thought, we're going to shift gears just a little bit. And yet, there is something here that will help to prepare our hearts and minds to return back to looking at the life of David. And that is because in the next couple of psalms that we're going to look at that are related to David's hiding out in the cave of Adullam... Uh, start off with a prayer that God would be merciful to him. And he prays that prayer throughout both of the Psalms that we'll look at. And so this whole idea of mercy is something that we need to consider. What What is David actually praying for? Now, I chose Isaiah 30 here because uh, first of all verse 18 is just marvelous It shows, which declares that God is glorifying himself when he shows mercy and then he goes on to describe as you just heard me read his acts of mercy toward his people even as he continues to judge the nations but it's interesting to note that this passage that I just read if I had started at the beginning of the chapter this, the contrast between the beginning of the chapter and what I just read to you is stark. Because he is indicting his people for their rebellion. And it's frequent, uh, obvious, and ugly rebellion. Without excuse. With not just a matter of ignorance or just let something slip, but a deliberate Casting off of Yahweh, and just says you are going to be judged, but uh, you're unwilling. You're trying to find. um, You're going to try to find your relief uh, in uh, the in military might and all of that, and then he says that's not going to happen. All of the all of the things that you're leaning on to help you are not going to do a single thing. Therefore, the Lord chooses to be gracious to you. In case you wondered what the therefore was there for. All that that God has done to bring judgment upon you. And you notice that one verse that He's going to heal the afflictions that came by His hand. So I read that. He's brought judgment upon them. He's going to bring them to the end of themselves so that his mercy is shown even more brightly. The Lord is choosing to not show mercy when they're being good, in other words. A lot of times uh, we do, as human beings, we tend to think that we want to earn that righteousness, we want to earn that favor with God that mercy because of our own righteousness. But then is it really mercy? Is it really mercy? So let's think about this though. Take a step back now. Having talked about this particular text, I'm not going to dig into Isaiah. I've got you'll see what I have planned in mind here because We are going to still pick David's brain a little bit as we go through and look at this whole idea of mercy, what he's really praying for. But I I wanted to give us that framework of thought that Isaiah's uh, prophecy provides for us. So let's take just a step back for a moment and start to think about who our God is. And particularly when... think, Think back if you can, if you... If this, not everyone has this sort of experience, but um, perhaps uh, some of you do here. If you ever find distress in your heart and mind when you think about God, be honest now. I realize that many times not, and, and we can say, oh, no, that wouldn't be right. Well, okay. But it doesn't change the fact that sometimes when we think about the Lord, it can bring, it can trouble our hearts and minds because of the disconnect in our understanding of what's happening in our lives and who we know Him to be and what He says He's going to do and what seems like's happening or isn't happening. And we wonder where He is and we wonder if the problems that are facing us are beyond Him or if He's forgotten about us. To many, the thought of God does bring. Distress. Even David in Psalm seventy seven and other Psalms, he's crying out, Where are you? This doesn't make any sense. So it's not uh, that that's an uncommon thing. For those who are are in opposition to him, he can be sometimes he gets pictured as the, the great bully in the sky, the one who wants you to be miserable. Sometimes even people who are religious people have this idea that God just wants you to, to be miserable. Um, he wants He's the one who cannot wait to condemn you. He's just waiting for you to trip up so he can smack you upside the head. Part of this thinking, probably, is because sinful people don't want to be held accountable for their sins. So... When we're in that condition, we're always looking for someone else to blame our troubles upon. But part of that, I think, is just plain ignorance about the fullness of who Yahweh truly is. Even those that believe in him and want to serve him can live in a, a kind of a terror that he's waiting to pounce upon them when they sin. Think of somebody like Martin Luther, who we mentioned a little bit earlier as he wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He learned that God was a fortress that he could run to, not run away from. Now, it's true that Yahweh is a God of justice. And it's true, yes, he does punish sin. But this other aspect of his character, his mercy is something that is often forgotten. And more than just the fact that He is merciful, we don't stop to consider that He takes absolute, infinite joy in dispensing it. He's not reluctant about it at all. As our passage here uh, in Isaiah points out in this context of terrible rebellion, He delights to pour out blessing upon His people and show mercy to them. And indeed, it brings glory to Himself. He exalts Himself to show mercy to you. And we are blessed when we wait upon Him. He's eager to show mercy. And He glorifies Himself as He dispenses mercy and justice in perfect balance. So now what I'd like to do is look at some passages, mostly from the Psalms, get an idea of what David was praying for, what he understood mercy to be. And as we do so, we'll get, I hope you will see, a full-orbed understanding of this mercy of God. The first psalm that we'll look at is Psalm 23. I expect most everybody in here knows Psalm 23 by memory. Verse 6 reads, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. Now you're going to see as we go through these passages that there are three words for mercy that are used in the Old Testament primarily. And we're going to see what those three are. The first one is found here. The one that we're most Often, uh, mo- most used to thinking about, and that is the word Hebrew word "hesed." Uh, it's it's connected with his faithfulness to himself. We're going to look at the covenant aspect of this in a moment, but it has to do with uh, his unceasing faithfulness to show favor to his people, when they don't deserve it. So, when when the Lord exalts himself and rejoices to show mercy, first aspect of that mercy is that it is a constant mercy. He never stops showing mercy, beloved. All the days of my life, And beyond the days of this life, dwelling in the house of Yahweh, the covenant God, the I am forever. He delights to be constant in his mercy. You know, for us, we can show favor towards each other from time to time, can we not? But all too often, our version of mercy, our version of favor, tends to be a bit more conditional Uh, We show favor, we show kindness, we show compassion, uh, and all of that as long as uh, we think the person deserves it. It's harder when they're unloving or we're unlovely and they're difficult to live with, they're difficult to be around, and still show mercy. Um, It's a bit harder, isn't it? But our God delights to show constant mercy. Faithful to himself, faithful to his character. He does not fail. And along with that is the next aspect here from Psalm 25, a couple Psalms later, and verse six, remember your mercy, O Yahweh, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. So now David expands on this thought here. Again, he cites the covenant name of God, Yahweh, but he uses a different word to begin with. He says, Remember your Raham. Raham. Raham is translated mercy throughout our English Bibles, and it's an appropriate translation. But it specifically has the uh, the idea of compassion for the miserable, compassion for the one that is is weighed down, oppressed, afflicted, in sorrow and in difficulty, in fear, in doubt. Yahweh shows compassion, and David's prayer in Psalm 25 is to remember that compassion for the miserable, and the implication here is he's finding himself in suffering and affliction. And he prays for that in accordance with God's holy character, and then he says, and your steadfast love, which is the word Chesed again, could have been translated mercy again, but it, in English it would have been kind of, why is he using the same word twice, right? So we've got two different words there, and steadfast love uh, is, a, is a good translation of hesed, that is constant, it is according to covenant, they have been from of old. This is God's plan for His people from of old, is to bless them, to encourage them, to show His love to them, to lift up, lift them up um, be, simply because of His goodness and His, in His delight in doing so. There's another passage, uh, this not in the Psalms, but this in the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 13, we read there that none... Uh, it, it's in the context of when you go in to conquer uh, an enemy and you go in there and there's lots of spoils of war and when the Lord commands that certain, that, that the spoils would be de- to be devoted to him as a sacrifice, an offering to him, they were not to touch it, they were not to take it for themselves. And so he uses this interesting terminology uh, here at the beginning at verse 17 of Deuteronomy 13. None of the devoted things shall stick to your hand. Uh, perhaps that's where we got the, uh, uh, that, that sticky fingers um, uh, metaphor in, uh, in English. But none of the devoted things shall stick to your hand, that Yahweh may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you... Now this is, gonna, this is a little bit interesting. About what David, or not David, what in this case Moses is talking about to show you raham to show you compassion in your misery in your difficulties and have compassion translates raham again so it's to show you raham and have raham on you there's an em- an emphasis there that suggests that god really means it but there's more to it than just the emphasis aspect of it I'll go ahead and finish reading. Uh, Have compassion on you and multiply you as he swore to your fathers. There's kind of the covenant aspect there as well. If you obey the voice of Yahweh your God, keeping all his commandments that I am commanding you today and doing what is right in the sight of Yahweh your God. Within the covenant, which Deuteronomy, of course, is a covenant text. The whole thing is a covenant. God's people were to walk in obedience to him. He's already entered into covenant. It's not about earning his favor or anything like that. It's about, I've entered into covenant with you, I've delivered you, now you need to walk in obedience to me. And if you do that, you will experience blessing. If you don't, you will experience judgment. But the Lord recognizes as he speaks through Moses that God's people um, sometimes have sticky fingers when it comes to the world. And there needs to be judgment. There needs to be fierceness of wrath. But he will show Raham. Now, Raham is a, is a great word. Just the concept of it I've already mentioned to you. Of compassion for the miserable. But there's a nuance to it that suggests it's not just a feeling. It's not just a, a, a theoretical concept. But it's a compassion for the, the miserable that issues forth into action. Merciful action to relieve that suffering, to relieve that affliction. And our God, in other words, delights to not just give lip service to saying, I'm going to be merciful to you, but he actually does something about it, actually comforts our hearts, supplies the needs of our our bodies and our minds and our, our emotions and our souls. He's the one who brings it about. He doesn't just say be warmed and be filled and then go his merry way. He delights to express his compassion in word and in deed. And that is him fulfilling what he promised in his covenant to us. I mean, covenant wouldn't be worth much if all God did was just say, yeah, sure, I'll be merciful to you. But never actually was, right? It's kind of a duh thing. But sometimes we, we get we get very uh, wrapped up in our, you know, theology about God being merciful. He's a merciful God. He's infinitely merciful. It's like yeah, okay. But what does that mean? Let's not forget that our theology is not just about theory; it's also about actual stuff when we talk about God. And He does incredible things for us, beginning with the salvation of our souls by the provision of a Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, and being near to us, never leaving us, nor forsaking us, providing all the things that we need for life and happiness in this life and the next. The comfort of those who are around us, the comfort of His Word, the Correction of His Word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And on and on it goes. Our acts of God's mercy, all in faithfulness to what He had promised from before the foundation of the world regarding His children. He's faithful to His covenant, and He delights to be so as He shows mercy to us. Now, take a look over at Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51... Familiar, I'm sure, to most of you, as a psalm that's about confession and repentance. This psalm that David wrote after he was confronted with his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. As he's broken before the Lord and comes humbly pleading for God's mercy. And here we find a third word for mercy. He says in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. I love this verse. Because all three words for mercy are in it. It starts off, have mercy. This one is Hanan, the third word. And Hanan has the idea of pity out of kindness. Not out of a sense of looking down your nose, superiority complex kind of pity. But pity upon the one who is just beyond help. Strictly out of the kindness of his heart. Pity for someone who can never repay. Pity for someone who could never earn the slightest of anything, but just out of the kindness of his heart. God delights to show mercy, and David knows that he has no place stand upon whatsoever. He has no grounds for God's favor, no grounds for relationship, no grounds for blessing, no grounds for anything but judgment. And he cries out for pity. Out of your kindness, O God, have pity upon me, have mercy upon me, according to your chesed, your covenant love. Your abiding faithfulness to yourself and to your promises because you have, David knew that God had said when you humble yourself and you repent, I will forgive you and restore you. He's, he's depending upon God's promises, God's covenant. According to your chesed, according to your abundant Raham, your abundant compassion for the miserable, blot out my transgressions. Have pity on me out of your kindness, O God, according to your covenant faithfulness, according to your abundant compassion. In my misery, blot out my transgressions. That's the expanded version. That's the only remedy. The only remedy for our sins. It's the abundant mercy of God that's shown through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we deserve nothing. We've got nothing to offer. But God, in this full, orbed understanding of what mercy is, compassion, pity, kindness, issues forth into action, all consistent, and therefore, to be relied upon. Consistent because of the very character uh, of God in which it is rooted. In Psalm 69, David would say, Answer me, O Yahweh, for your chesed, your steadfast love, your mercy is good according to your abundant mercy. And there's racham again. Turn to me. So the Lord delights to show constant mercy and covenant mercy and in keeping with the letter C. Came up with the word copious. I like that word copious. It's full. It's overflowing. It's abundant. You know, God never stops showing mercy. It's constant. Because of his covenant, he never forgets. To show mercy. And here these verses remind us that he never runs out of that mercy. And he delights to just keep giving it. Perhaps you or someone that you've known in your life. Have you, you have had this idea that I, I, I've sinned too much. I'm too far gone. God can't love me. God can't forgive me anymore. That's really a kind of a backwards manifestation of pride. That somehow at least in our sinning we can do we can one up God in this way. But beloved, you can never one up God in his mercy. You can never exhaust his mercy. I'm not talking about being presumptive and just you know, sin all you want because you know that uh, God will forgive you anyway. That kind of presumption. God says, no, Uh, think again. There's judgment for that. But when we come before him humbly, confessing our sins, pleading for his compassion, pity, kindness, faithfulness, he delights to deliver. And it will never run out. Finally, Psalm one forty-five, one forty-five, verse nine. We read there, Yahweh is good, and that word means kind or pleasant. Yahweh is good to all, and His mercy—that's His compassion—that's racham. His mercy is over all that He has made. <clears throat> I really could have gotten this point from almost almost all the other ones that had "raham" in it, but uh, this one I just I wanted to cover this one as a standalone. In verse uh, 140, uh, Psalm 145:9 states it so beautifully, doesn't it? Yahweh's goodness and compassion is over everything that He's made. He delights to show compassionate mercy. He never stops. He never forgets. He never runs out. He always loves. Our God delights to show us His love. He loved us, right, first, before we loved Him. Indeed, it had to be that way, for we were lost and dead in our sins, unable to love at all, unable to respond at all, unless He quickened us and made us alive Gave us new hearts to respond to Him. And He delights to show that compassion. What an incredible picture of the mercy of God. As we get on back into David's life and try to get inside his head a little bit and understand how he's thinking as he's going through these experiences and what we can learn from that, let us have the same kind of idea of mercy that He did. And that he expresses so beautifully here in these various Psalms. Of course, we've already seen that it's not the concept of God's mercy is not just uh, settled only in the Psalms. We saw it in Isaiah. saw it in Deuteronomy. As I wrap up this morning, I want to take you to one other passage. A, a minor prophet. Uh, those of the, you that were at Family Fellowship um, uh, on Friday, we uh, looked at this particular passage in more detail in the prophet Zephaniah. Prophet Zephaniah. And I won't repeat that whole message because it would take too long. Just want to hit a a highlight from Zephaniah. In Zephaniah's little book, in chapter 3 and verse 17, we read these words. Yahweh your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Now in this particular case, you didn't hear the word mercy or anything like that here uh, of any of the three words that we looked at. Rather, what I want to focus upon as we draw all this together, as we think about God's delight in doing good. We started off thinking about how, how many have this false understanding uh, that God is just waiting to pounce and that His delight is to punish. God takes no death, no no joy in the death of the, the wicked, the Scriptures tell us. But rather He delights and rejoices over His people. And indeed all heaven rejoices when a sinner is redeemed. He will exult over you with loud singing. We've we looked at Yahweh as a singer on Friday night and thinking about him singing with joy over us. And indeed it's I think it's not a stretch to consider that he will be singing for eternity with joy over the redemption of his people, upon whom he showed constant covenant mercy in abundance all motivated by His incredible, matchless, infinite love. So beloved, do not dread Yahweh's corrections. Do not think that He is determined to destroy you. If you are His child, He delights to show you mercy. So turn from your sin and run to Him. He will not turn you away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your incredible mercy, made all the more starkly glorious because of the enormity of our sin, which demands that mercy to be exercised if we are to have any relationship with you at all. Thank you, Lord, that you do not desire a half-hearted relationship with us, but that in your mercy, you make it uh, possible and indeed secure for us a relationship that nothing can take away and nothing can diminish. So, Lord, help us to run to you When we need to confess our sins, when we need to repent, let us never think that we can out love you or out sin you. For Lord, your mercy is as infinite as you are. We thank you for your joy in giving it to us again and again and again. May you be praised. And our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who is the fullest expression by his person and work of your mercy to us. We pray these things in his blessed name. Amen. As we